So how are you guys doing this morning? That is awesome. I'm so glad to hear it. And uh, for those of you who may be new here, we are glad that you're here. Uh, We had the treat of having Jennifer Harper. That's not an everyday occurrence, but it is a special time for us. And so we're glad for that. Um, We have been going through the Bible as a church for five years. And this is actually year five and all that. That's kind of wild to think about. And as we're getting toward the end of our studies, we're getting into a lot of really new, cool New Testament scriptures. And one of the things that we do is we read together as a congregation six days a week. And you can get that. You kind of heard a reference of that of our upcoming study in John. Uh, but you can get... Uh, booklets for the rest of the epistles that we're doing as well as little cards for the reading thing over at the information desk so you can be reading what we're reading and what we do is six days a week we read the scriptures together and then on Sunday when we come back together again guess what we break the word from what we've read together and that way we got a deeper understanding of the word of God we do it in whole or in part depending upon the passage of scripture and this past week we have read Second Peter and Jude. It seems like an odd combination because they're not necessarily right together in the scripture. But one of the things that if you guys listen to the videos that we have online, uh, one of the things that you'll notice is that Jude actually references Second Peter. Uh, Jude references a good portion of both chapters 2 and 3 of Second Peter. So when you read Jude, Jude is saying, hey... Peter mentioned this, and this is what's happening here. So really, we were kind of repeating ourselves, if you will, as we were going through the scriptures together. Kind of cool. Uh, so today, we're going to be kind of camping out in Second Peter chapter 2. And it's really, it's called, uh, a message called, um, I can't even remember the name of the message. Um, that's really bad, isn't it? So, that springs without water. See, I'm a runner. I love running. I don't run as much as I used to, but I love running. And I do remember, I've run about 10 half marathons in in my lifetime, right? All within the last 10 years. So I've run these half marathons, and I enjoy it. People are like, why would you put yourself through that torture? I just enjoy running. However, when you're running super long distances, or if you're outside all day and you've been working, how many of you have been working... Guys, outdoors, right? You're outdoors, you're working, and and it just gets to a point where it's like, oh, it's hot, it's miserable, I I just want something. Give me something to drink. I don't even care care if it's hot, just give me some relief because I'm feeling dehydrated, I don't feel that great, I'm ready to be done with this, but I still have more to go, right? And one of the things I would do when I was running is sometimes I would run around parks. Like if you go around to Montgomery Park just over here, if you run the perimeter, it's nearly a mile. So I would run that perimeter a good portion as, as I was training for half marathons. And if you go to certain parks, some of these parks have these beautiful things called water fountains, right? And you go to these water fountains, and you're like, I'm running. Oh, I saw the water fountain. You're just, you're eyeing it. Maybe lap six. You're just like, okay, I'm going to stop for just a second, and I'm going to get a drink of water. And there is nothing more disappointing than going to that water, and it's just dried up, right? It's got the green stuff on the bottom because it's just like been there forever, and you're, you're just like, <sighs> I mean, I, I should have just kept running. 
I don't even know why I looked at this. I got my hopes up. It was so terrible. And then then I got here and there's nothing there. It's like going to a cooler at somebody else's house and and you're like thirsty and you open up and it's empty because all of it's gone. There's not even ice there anymore, right? It's like nothing. It's like you're just staring at me, mocking me. It's like this hope that is there of relief and it's gone. And this is what is meant by the phrase springs without water. Because a spring out there in the desert land, much like it is in New Mexico, is a welcome sight. You walk up to this place and you're expecting this cool, refreshing water to revive you, only to realize it's dried up. See, First Peter last week when we talked about it was all about us having an answer an apologetic of realizing of what it means to put Jesus as Lord and to realize that even with our apologetic the people around us are not going to accept that apologetic and we need to stand true to Christ despite what everybody else around us says second peter and jude are a little different The focus isn't so much about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ as much as it is a warning for those who will infiltrate our midst and teach something that is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were promised that with Jesus. Peter's reinforcing that in his epistle still stands true today. We still see it. We'll be talking about that, why all of that is important. So today, if you will turn, 2 Peter chapter 2, I want to read the entire chapter in context and kind of go back and, and walk through some of the things that Peter is warning us about and what that means for us today. 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories that they've made up. Their condemnation has been long hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood of, of, on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. 
bold and arrogant. These men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They're like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. They'll be paid back with harm for the harm that they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and an accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. And if they've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Those are strong words, aren't they? He's sending these as reminders to them to let them know that not only do we need to set Jesus Christ as Lord in our hearts, we need to be watching within our midst between the people who are going to rise up and teach things that are not in accordance with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he gives some examples, and examples in here that I think are very telling toward the type of age that I believe we're walking back into again. I really do. One of the first ones that he mentions is he mentions Noah, the time of Noah. What had happened? How did they get so bad that God was ready to judge the world in the time of Noah? Well, I think we have to go back a little bit from that. If we go to Genesis chapter 4... We know the account of Cain and Abel. Abel's offering sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Cain is not. Cain is jealous of Abel. And instead of repenting and offering what is right before God, he kills his brother. Tries to cover it up. Of course God knows. Probably like Abel's like with him, like... In revealing it, God gives a punishment to Cain. Verse 10 in chapter 4, And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground. 
which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So God turns around and says, look, not only will the ground be harder for you like with Adam, it's going to be even harder than that. I'm driving you away from the presence of other people. And Cain yells out, this punishment is more than I can bear. And if people find me, they're going to kill me because they're going to know what I've done. And in his cry and plea for mercy, God is merciful. Not so. If anybody finds you and does anything to you, Vengeance will come on them seven times over. More than that, I will let them know it's you by providing a mark on your body that everybody is going to know this is Cain. Don't mess with them. Judgment is reserved for God in this matter. Five generations later, which Cain would still be alive because they lived a long, long time during that time. But if we go down just a little bit in that same chapter, in Genesis chapter 4, five generations later, there's a man named Lemek from Cain's line. Verse 19, Lemek married two women, one named Ada, the other Zillah, and Ada gave birth to Jabal, and he's the father of those who get, live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the harp and the flute. And Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal's Cain's sister was Nama. Lemek said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lemek, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lemek 77 times. What you are seeing in the course of this time is a hardening of society that is working itself out through Lemek. Cain is avenged not through his own words, but through the words of God. Because Cain is yelling out in mercy. This is too much for me to handle. I have done wrong. I am being punished for it. Oh Lord, people who see me, they're going to kill me. And God says, not so. If anybody does this, seven times will I avenge. And I will give you a mark of mercy upon you so that anybody who sees you will know not to mess with you. This all comes from God. And it comes from a place of humility, of crying out, of mercy. Five generations later, we have Lemek standing forth saying, a young man hurt me so I killed him. And if Cain is avenged seven times, I should be avenged 77 times. This didn't come from the hand of God, the voice of God. 
This came from a man who was defiantly standing up and saying, I am living in this way, fully justified in what it was that I had done. You guys see the difference between the two? This is the degradation that was happening during the time of Noah. So when we read in chapter 6 of Genesis... Verse 5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And as this pertains to 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter is warning that there are going to become false teachers who come into this world, who come into the church, who are rising up in the church, who much like the days of Noah are going to be justifying the evil actions that are taking place that are against the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to say that it's all right to live any way that you want. As a matter of fact, that their form of justice, whatever it is, this man-made justice that is devoid of the mercy of God or appealing to him in any type of way, is going to make this way inside the church. And we better be careful. God then goes on to Sodom and Gomorrah. In 2 Peter, we see 2 Peter being used and saying, in Sodom and Gomorrah, we see the same thing. Judgment is going to come to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wicked actions. We can read in Ezekiel that Sodom and Gomorrah's sin is that they're haughty, they're unconcerned, they're unloving toward the people that are around them. And God gives them over to those desires and those pleasures that work themselves out, much like what we read in Romans chapter 1. And so judgment is going to come upon these people, and as God pronounces this judgment, and these two angels make their way down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're going to stay in the town square, Lot knows that they're not safe there, and invites them into his home. Where the crowd of people who have seen them in that square now want to gang rape these angels believing them to be men. Distressed over these things and yet compromised by the culture, Lot offers his daughters up. Sorry, that's not a great loving father. Even though he's a righteous man, he's a compromised righteous man. Not satisfied with that, they want to do harm. And of course, judgment comes down on the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the reason that these things are so important to understand is that the people living in Sodom and Gomorrah, the people living in Noah's age, thought everything was all right living the way that they did. There's nothing wrong with the way that we're living. We come to Balaam, and Balaam 
is not a prophet of God. We need to understand this first and foremost. Though he's used as a prophet, he's not a prophet of God. He's a prophet of other gods in the area. And as a result of things, he's out to God and God decides, I'm going to talk to Balaam. Because there are these people here who are wanting the people of Israel cursed. And so Balak comes by and says, hey, come on with me, curse these people. Because I know whomever you say is cursed is cursed. And whomever you say is blessed is blessed. Please come and curse these people so that we can have victory over them. Balaam consorts with God and God answers and says, don't go with those people. I have determined to bless the people of Israel. Balak comes and says, dude, I'm going to give you so much money, you won't even know what to do with it. You can read this. This is my, this is my summary. That's not, dude is probably not a correct translation. Uh, Jennifer could probably verify that. Um, it's found in Numbers chapter 22 through 24 is where you can find the account of this. And so, he goes to the Lord again. The Lord says, I'll let you go, but you only say what I'm wanting to say. But you know that, guess what? His mind is on the money. His mind is on getting paid. His mind is on wanting those things because the angel of the Lord is there to kill him. And his donkey veers off to the left, veers off to the right, crushes his ankle up against the stone wall. And he starts beating this donkey and God loosens the donkey's uh, tongue and starts speaking to him like, why are you beating me? Because you're acting like a donkey. Have I ever acted this way before? He's saying this. Can you imagine saying that and all of a sudden, at what point did he realize I'm talking to a donkey? I think the donkey might have been saying the same thing. So, And finally, he realizes, okay, I need to do what God says. But please understand, Balaam is no friend of the people of Israel for he devises a strategy after his blessing to have the people of Israel cursed by God himself through disobedience. Loved the wages of wickedness. If he were faithful, he would have stayed faithful to God and only sought the blessing of the people of Israel. He sought their destruction by God's own hand. These things are up there for you and I to understand. Why? Because today we deal with a lot of the same things. There are people who are out there, even this day, who talk about the ideas of Christianity in a light that's not Christian at all. They follow the spirit of this age. You know, there used to be a time, and I remember this, and this is why, you know, when we look back at the idea of, of the time of Noah, there used to be a time 20, 30, 40 years ago, I, aging myself, whatever, where we would protect children, we would protect women from things from the culture that were unseemly. It wasn't nice to hear women cuss. I understand the hypocrisy that men had. It's like men can cuss, but women, we don't want you cussing. It's like really weird. But there was this protection that was there that, no, we want you to seem ladylike. We want you to preserve that ladylikeness. We want to preserve this, this 
uh, innocence, if you will, for our children. We don't want them exposed to too much stuff in an early age where they can't handle it and don't, don't know how to process things like that. Where is that gone? Now it's like we celebrate it and put it out there and say, well, we want our kids to experience everything here at an early age to surround themselves with every type of filth and, and moral uh, disgustingness that God considers abhorrent so that they'll know how to grow up in this culture. When I say we have fallen the way that I see in Genesis, this is what I'm seeing. How many of you remember what I'm talking about? The idea that we would protect our kids from stuff like this. We would protect our women and say, you know what, we we don't want these ugly things to be a part of your life. We want you preserved. Let's sully ourselves, men, at the expense of the women who we are called to protect, at the expense of our children whom we're called to protect. Where has that gone? And the sad truth is, there are some churches that are promoting it. It's called good. Because it's a whole lot easier to go with the culture if I can sit with Oprah. talking about Rob Bell on his Super Bowl Sunday, a clip that I played a number of years ago, where he speaks of the need and the idea of homosexuality and the idea that that ship is passed. This idea of monogamy and homosexuality and all of this is totally fine for the culture that we are today. Well, if you're sitting there with Oprah, probably getting a good little paycheck from it. But it is a spring without water. It brings nothing but destruction and death for those who follow it. But we all want to be liked. Earlier this year, I came into the office somewhere around March. And there was this poster and these little flyers, these little postcards about a conference that was going to be here in Albuquerque in May. And I sat down and I looked at it and immediately warning bells came up. And I asked Mark and asked Barbara about it. And they were like, oh, somebody who was from this church, I won't mention the church's name. But it's a conservative, at least traditionally conservative, historic Christian church. Someone who would align with us in faith and values. And they were like, we have this conference. We're wanting to encourage you guys, encourage your people to go to this conference. And the two main speakers were Brian Zond and Brad Jersick. You may not know those names. You might. I don't know. But I know those names. And these were people who have denied the historic Christian faith. They deny the existence of hell, the inerrancy of the word of God, the nature of God. They've bought into the LGBTQ plus, A minus, whatever agenda that is out there. They're part of critical theory and critical race theory from, from their own words, not mine. But I knew the history of these people 
and warn Mark. I said, our people will not be going to this conference. We will not promote this conference. And all of those posters and those postcards will find its way directly into the circular file. We will not pass it out to another congregation. And as a matter of fact, to do a favor to that congregation, we need to warn them about what they're about to bring into their congregation. All of these people who, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, are supposed to learn something new that's only going to lead them down a road to destruction. This is why this message is given in 2 Peter chapter 2. It's why it's so important that you guys understand who stands before you on any given week, whether it's me or the elders or somebody else, Jennifer Harper coming up here, whom we're supporting. That the things that we're saying line up scripturally to what the word of God says. That we're proclaiming the whole of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if we're not, we're leading people in a different direction. That's not the gospel at all. It's interesting that Jennifer mentions about Galatians because I love the fact that Galatians is grace-filled. It's, it's all about the grace of Jesus Christ, that we could not do it on our own merit and our own work. It is through the work of Christ that we are saved. We are hopeless in our sin without him. And yet, the book of Galatians is written as a warning. Verses 6 through 9 talk about, I'm surprised that you have so quickly changed from the gospel that was preached to you to another gospel, which is no gospel at all. Whether we or an angel from heaven should preach any other gospel, let him be cursed, meaning eternally condemned. And this is what Second Peter is all about. That those people preaching this gospel are eternally condemned. Those following, those teachings are eternally condemned. Because they're not following Jesus as Lord. They're using the grace of Jesus Christ as a license for sin. A sinful lifestyle that we are called to repent, to turn away from, to follow Jesus, to realize that he died for our sins. That we can never live up to that standard in a very real way that he's lived up to it for us. But it should transform our lives as we are following him. And yet today, so many false voices out there. So many people who are saying that you can just live your life. Many of them in popular literature right now. Go to a Christian section into your Christian bookstore. Go to a Christian section into a regular bookstore and you will find all types of heresy that doesn't line up with the word of God. Many of which get bought into by those who are in faithful congregations because they don't know the word. They don't compare the teaching to the word of God. I'm going to list off some names here because it's important. These are popular names. Some of which some have asked me about here in this church, which I'm glad that they did. They had a discerning heart to say, hey, what about this person? What about this person? One of them is found here in Albuquerque. His name's Richard Rohr. 
Richard Rohr is totally a heretic. He believes that the fourth person of the Trinity is creation and us, and that as a result of that, we already have the Spirit of God in us, therefore there is nothing for us to do concerning salvation in Christ. No need for repentance because we already have the Spirit as being part of a creation God. This is a panentheistic view of God. That God creates everything and is in everything. Therefore, you being the way that you are is fine. And it goes against everything that we read about in Scripture. Another author is Peter Inns, and I mention this name because there are some social media posts by some people that I know who are quoting Peter Inns, and Peter Inns is a heretic, does not believe in the inerrancy of the scriptures. Brian Zahn doesn't believe in hell. Brad Jerzyk believes Christians need to repent of their Christianity. That people who follow these people, because they use Christianese terms and twist the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ into a way to continue in lawlessness and sin, God doesn't have very good things to say about their destination, nor those who follow them. It is interesting. If we read in verse 10 in chapter 2 of first Peter, uh, Second Peter, it says, This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. See, as a believer in Christ, let me tell you something right now. I battle the flesh just like you do every day. The flesh and the spirit are the daily battle that we are fighting, Right? The spirit wants us to follow God. The flesh wants to res- resurrect our own, own nature. And some days we give in to that fleshly desire, then we shouldn't. And our response ought to be, as believers in Christ, repentance and dependence upon the grace of Jesus. A turning away from those things. A confession that these things are wrong and that we need to move away from that. And thank you, Jesus, that your grace is sufficient for me. But not as an excuse to continue doing so again and again and again and again. See, ultimately the authority we reject when we reject authority is his. You know, in the Old Testament, you know, parents might have liked this, I don't know. Depending on the day, you might have liked this. You had a rebellious child, you could stone him to death. You could bring them in front of the city gates and say, this, this child is rebellious, he's a drunkard, he's a lazy person, and he doesn't obey us, and he does everything that's wrong, and you could stone him to death under the law. Some parents are like, depending on the day, maybe, right? But why did that exist back then? It existed back then because those who despised authority in the home would not follow God. And they would become a disruption, not just in the home, but in society. And God's desire for the people of Israel was to keep themselves pure in following God. Did he want parents to stone their kids? No. But he wanted obedience for the people of Israel. We don't do that as Christians. All you parents like, I got rocks at home. Don't. 
As believers in Jesus Christ, we have the scripture that we're looking at is Matthew chapter 18 where it says, you know what? If your brother sins, you go to him just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. If he doesn't bring two or three witnesses so the matter may be established by two or three witnesses, if he doesn't listen to them, bring it before the church. If he won't listen to the church, then you cast him out. You treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You treat him as an unbeliever who needs Jesus because they've been given time and time and time again to follow Jesus and they won't do it. And Peter says, these are the types of people that despise authority. Guys, we live in a very individualistic culture in America that despises authority. That's why people don't come and counsel with pastors anymore. They don't want to be told that maybe what they're doing is wrong. Have that witness before them concerning what God's word says and follow and turn around and say, okay, I've, I've examined the scriptures. I've examined what you said about my situation. I see that you're right, and therefore I repent. I turn away, and I walk in this direction. We just don't do that anymore. It's all individualistic. Which leads us down a path where we'll listen to any authority. Because we're not in the word. I'm just talking in general. As a Christian people, we're not in the word. Christian worldview among parents and children is around 4% right now, or 2%, depending upon the study. How can we say the amen to something we don't know? And it makes us ripe for deception by those who would lead us astray telling us that there's nothing wrong with us or the way that we're living or anything else. We don't know exactly why Jesus died, but he sets an example for us, but definitely not for our sins because you're good as you are. So many people are falling for it. So many people are repeating the lies. And so you have this harsh reminder by Peter that there are going to be these people who are out there. Because I want you guys to look at the teaching that's giving you every single week. We're in the scriptures together going through it for my sake. Yeah, partially. I mean, I need to grow in Christ too. But so you can say the Amen to what is being broken on a week-to-week basis up here at the pulpit, to know that it's truth, not because I said so, but you've compared it to the word of God. His is the authority by which all other authority finds its origin. And anything outside of that authority that contradicts that authority is not worthy of following. Whether they be pastor, governor, or king, It's why we want to preach the whole gospel here. That Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for your sins, your sins, the things that you've done wrong against God. 
that you are objects by nature of wrath. But God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the call is the same as it was with John the Baptist. He calls all men to repent, to turn away, and receive life in the name of Jesus Christ. And as a believer in Christ, you're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. Sorry, just not. You're going to fight with the flesh, and at times you're going to lose. And the temptation is going to be as you fight with the flesh, I'm so tired of fighting this battle. And the culture is going to tell you to give in, and you can just trust God and give in anyway. And there's nothing in the scripture that says that. That when we give in, that our only righteous Right response is repentance, a turning away and turning back to Jesus Christ and following him as Lord and Savior. That someday he's coming back and he's going to bring all of those who believe in him with him. And everybody's going to be raised up, some to eternal life who have believed in him and others to be cast away because they have trusted in these springs without water. I don't want that for any of you. I want to see all of you walking with Christ. I want to be able to share the gospel, but I want you comparing what I say with the word. I want you comparing what Jennifer says with the word. She's going to be translating it. She wants to know. She's doing a good job because it's all Greek to her. That's what she said. And everybody who's up here at this pulpit, they're going to want you. Guess what? Checking it out. Being able to say the amen. You know why? Because ultimately you and I are called to follow Jesus by whom all authority and power and honor and majesty belong. Because there's no other gospel preached in heaven by which men must be saved. Would you stand with me? Oh God, I just pray in the name of Jesus you give us wisdom. You have told us that just as there were false prophets, there's going to be false teachers. They are all around us, Lord, in the culture that we're in right now. Turning people away right and left as people are not comparing what they're saying with the truth of your word and what you've done in Jesus Christ our Lord. They turn the grace of Jesus Christ into a license for sin. God, that is not your gospel. It gives a false hope. It springs without water. It it walks forward. It looks nice from a distance. And when you walk up to it, there's no hope through following it. Only disappointment and destruction. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to follow you wholeheartedly with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, to walk in the grace of Jesus Christ, the glorious grace that saves us from our sins, not through anything that we've done, but what you have done on the cross of Jesus Christ, and how you have rose from the dead to give us the promise of new life to everybody who follows you. 
God, help us die to ourselves. Help us to repent of our sins. Help us to turn away from those things that are not pleasing to you and to seek you out with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And help us to discern those who would be teaching us that we may say the amen to it or turn away because they are agents of death. Give us the grace to say the amen or to expose for the sake of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.